Good morning. How are y'all doing? Uh, it's great to see you today. Grab your Bibles, the book of John. We continue today together. It's my privilege to be able to share with you from John again, chapter one, as we have started last week, our series, simply that you may believe a study through the gospel of John. The gospel of John is that of Christ, or the father revealing himself through the son, such a powerful journey for us as John is this relational writer who writes as an insider with that, it's a relationship with Christ. And so we begin today uh, talking about a subject, I think it's really uh, a subject that's a question that we've all asked ourselves at some point in life, and that is, how do I discover God's will for my life? That what does God want me to do? It's the big question. And you say, Mark, that's a question for people that are kind of younger because my life is set. And, and so, you know, that's not really something that I've been asking myself very much. And that is not true, as we're going to see simply played out in John chapter 1, starting with verse 35 in a moment. That is a question that we all ask ourselves. And so, so how do I discover what God really wants me to do in life? And, and, and so, you know, you think, well, maybe, maybe I would like to do what you do, Mark. And can I tell you, real, real straightforward, that what I do is highly overrated. It really is. Understand that. Yeah, it, it, it is that you, if, only if you are called to do what I do, then that is what you should do. Well, then, if I don't want to, you know, can't do what you do, then I want to do what Matthew does as a next generation pastor, or Nathan does as a children's pastor. That's one you really need to pray about, okay? Yes? And, and then, or maybe I want to do what Hannah does up here as our worship coordinator, or, or maybe Marcy or Travis as our teaching pastor, or working with college students, or then all of those that you don't see on the stage that really hold everything together here at Oak Fellowship and make everything work. And so when we hear this statement, what does God really want me to do? Our minds go to those kinds of situations. They go to those, those opportunities. And, and so I, I just give you this caveat right up front, and that is, that's really not what this is about today. And, and, and so if your mind is gone there, then bring your mind back to where we are this morning, because that's really not what this teaching is about. It's not. I think the least of what we're going to talk about this morning is vocational ministry. It, it really is. But what this is about today is how you live your life daily. It's how you interact with one another. It's how you care for your family and how you care for your neighbor and your roommate and your classmate. How you become a royal uh, or a loyal friend and how that you are, as we know through the teachings of John thus far, that you are embedded, you are embedded light in the darkness of this world. It's how you live your life. It's what God has called you to do every day when you go to your job or you go to class or you go home and interact with your family or you mow in your yard and you see your neighbor across the street and God speaks to you to talk with him. It's how you live out those things within your life. I think we get these big, grandiose pictures of, well, this is what God wants me to do, and I'm just going to hang around until I get like the cloud that looks like, you know, uh, the Virgin Mary in, in the sky or whatever, and I have that sign. I have that sign from God, and God says, no, no, I've already called you. I've already given you very specific direction for your life. So as we embark together on this narrative thus far, we have discovered in one week, what we've discovered is this, that this is the first part of John is a prologue. It's a prologue to a powerful narrative where you find that Jesus is revealing the heart of the Father. Jesus is revealing his heart for you and I. If you want to understand God, you've got to simply look through Christ, that he is revealing the character and the nature of the Father to you and I. And that, what we discovered last week, is this, that God accommodates us through that of the incarnation of Jesus. That when we could not reach up to God, God reaches down to you and I. He accommodates us through that of the life 
of his son Jesus, that he comes down as a parent would with a child when you get in the floor and you get down to their level. He speaks to us on, our, 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 on the very levels of our life so we can understand it's about relationship. It's about relationship with him. Yes, I love that, that I, have, I have a bunch of three-foot friends here at Hope Fellowship, you know, and, and those are little people, right? And they're so precious. And, and uh, on Sunday mornings, I always hang out in the lobby, and, and I, I get to talk to them, and, and I always get hugs from my three-foot friends, and I have a few of them. And so I name a few. If I don't name your child, don't get upset at me. Get over it, okay? I, I love them all. I really do, but, but I love, uh, there's, there's a little boy named Emmett. There's a little girl named Piper, and then there's Amelia, and there's Isabella, and there's Thatcher, and there's this whole list of kids. That I, and what I love to do is when they come and they hug me, that, you know, I, I see adults do this all the time, that you stand and that child three foot tall or less, they're hugging your knees, right? Yes, yes. And they're looking up at you. What I love to do is get down on one knee in front of them or two knees, and I, I embrace them and hug them, and I get on their level. And I thought about that. I thought about that this week. That's exactly what God does to you and I. That's exactly what he does in sending his son Jesus, that he gets down on our very level to look straight into our eye and to our very hearts this morning, and it's about relationship. So the first part of John chapter 1 is that a revealing of that relationship, that God does accommodate us, that we have this full disclosure of the Father through that of the Son for you and I, that it leaves nothing for you and I to simply guess at, but yet we understand his character and his nature. We does. And, and so what, what is so beautiful about this is we also talked about a few moments as a recap last week that you have John the Baptist and John the Baptist begins to proclaim who Jesus is, that he is the son of God. He tells us who Jesus is and who he is not, that he is not God, but yet there's one coming that he's not even worthy to unlatch his sandals. He calls him the Lamb of God as we uh, you would read through verse or chapter one. And so what all of this is beautiful because it introduces Christ as that of being the lens in which we view God the Father through. And then it skips the whole births thing, you know? It skips the whole Bethlehem thing. It just kind of, John says, you know, let's get right into the life of Jesus. So it skips that. And I've always wondered, you know, is John the guy that hates Christmas? Because I love it, right? Yes. And, and so I don't know. It is already September. And, you know, in September that I start listening to Christmas music. You say, Mark, it's hot as Hades outside. Come on, you know. It's like in the, in the 90s. But if maybe I'm, I am more unique than I think. I don't know. But it's September. So has anybody else just ventured into listening to at least one Christmas song in September? Anybody? Raise your hand. Let me see. Anyone? Look at this. I am strange. I'm not unique. I'm weird, right? Yes, yes, it, it is strange, but I, but I have. It's time to get in the mood. But what John does, he kind of just buzzes past all of that, he does, and he gets right into the life of Christ. I, I, I love this, how he, he addresses this powerful thing. So in John chapter 1 and verse 35, before we read, let me give you a little bit about what we're going to talk about this morning that what we find here is we find Jesus' disciples. In fact, at this point in John 1 and 35, that they're actually John the Baptist's disciples. We know that that's the way we're referred to. And I love it when we talk about this, of what does God want me to do in life, and God addresses that here in this portion of Scripture, because you have these disciples, and they have jobs. You know, They have their life planned out. They have things structured out in their life. They have the course of their life already set. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. He does. 
And, and because when we hear these topics talked about, what does God want me to do in life? All of a sudden you get this thought, well, maybe I should go in tomorrow and I should resign my job. I should quit my job. I should withdraw from school and just simply hang out and trust God until God speaks to me about what he wants me to do. Can I tell you, don't do that, okay? Do not do that. That is not what this is about at all. But what I want you to understand is this. When Jesus comes to his disciples, it's not like they're this ragtag group of people that are, are wandering aimlessly through life without any kind of direction or any kind of responsibility. That's not it at all. Because we find that they are employed and we find that they do have families and we find that they do have direction in life. And then all of a sudden Jesus shows up in the middle of what they thought was the direction of their life. So what does that look like for us? When Christ shows up, and man, we have everything planned out. And some of you are like super planners. You're like planners on steroids. And that's, that's wonderful if you're like that. You're the sticky note people. You're the people with a list of things with the little boxes beside them and all those kinds of things. And you have all of that planned out. And what I say to you is this. It's foolish not to plan. Understand that. So I'm not saying that you live life with complacency. But what do you do when Christ shows up? Well, how does this play out for you, God's design for your life, when everything is planned out for you? What I realize in life, that life is kind of planned out two-way, by design or demand. And most of the time, life is either one of the two or it's a hybrid of the both. But it's simply this, by you design things or life demands you to live a certain way. And when I look at the life of the disciples and them living out God's plan for their life, it's messy and it's inconsistent like my life, like your life, and living this out, it's absolutely like ours. Because as we read this verse, what you're going to find is this, that they're more in a physical discovery mode than a spiritual discovery mode. They're more interested about where Jesus is geographically than simply who he is as the Son of God. But that doesn't stop Christ from speaking to their life. So here's five big ideas this morning, very quickly. The first is this, we're going to discover five things through our teaching. The first is this, that we want to populate our personal database. I thought I would throw that out there because it makes me sound intelligent, doesn't it? Yes, it does. We want to populate our personal database with information relating to Jesus, but Jesus wants our hearts. It's what he wants. The second thing that is this, the first step to understanding God's plan for our life is an understanding of who Jesus is. That's where it has to start. We're going to see that played out in this narrative this morning. That walking in God's plan for our life involves more than just knowing God's plan for our life. That there's there's action involved in this. That direction is not discovered by seeking direction. It is discovered through seeking Christ. That Jesus knows us while we're under the fig tree. And you say, Mark, I've never been under a fig tree before. Oh, yes, you have. You just don't understand what that means yet. You have that Jesus knows us while we're under the fig tree and still invites us to come and see. So following John's testimony after this passage of scriptures that we dealt with last week, that he follow, we follow his testimony of that of how the Holy Spirit descends upon Christ and, and he pronounces him as being the Son of God. He bears witness to all of this. Then Jesus shows up here in verse 35. And here's what happens in John 1 verse 35. It says, The next day again John, and this is John the Baptist, we can't get confused, was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And, and I love this. Because it's just this random comment that he makes. It's random comment John the Baptist makes with no qualifying statement that's added to it. Yes. Now, he's this eccentric kind of guy. Understand this. But the Bible uh, gives us a very good word picture of who he is. He's this eccentric kind of guy. 
You don't invite him to a party at your house because he shows up with locusts and wild honey is what he brings, right? Yes, everybody else brings chip and dip, and he brings locusts and wild honey. And, he, and, and not only, but he's always underdressed because he's always wearing animal skins is what he's wearing. So he's this very eccentric kind of person. And so Jesus walks by, he's standing by his disciples, and he just randomly says, behold, the Lamb of God. He just throws that out there. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed him. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? They're just randomly following behind Christ. He's moving along to his destination. All of a sudden, he turns around and he says to them, hey, what are you guys seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, um, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, 4 p.m. So here's a, one of our thoughts this morning is this What are you seeking? It's a huge question. What are you looking for in life? What, what are you seeking for in life? John the Baptist says, Hey, behold the Lamb of God. The disciples here, they follow Christ, and, and, and Jesus turns around and says, Hey, what are you guys looking for? What are you guys looking for? It's very odd language. But, but here's what I know. The old adage is this, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's true, right? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's very true. But if you feed the horse salt, then he will drink on his own, right? So this is exactly what these words are. What, what does that have to do with anything, you know? What does that, no, is exactly what these words are. It's the way Christ leads us and draws us to himself is exactly what it is. He pulls at our hearts. With Jesus, there is no coercion. Understand that. There's no strong arm tactics when it comes to the way Christ draws us. He always invites us into relationships. It's a question that simply sparks their curiosity about who he is. It's the way God deals with us that draws us into his own heart. It shows that of the heart of the Father. That's what Jesus is doing. Because God the Father, it's not about coercion. It's about not strong-arming you and I. But it's about drawing us into relationships. And you know, sometimes we have this somewhat twisted picture of who Jesus is, who the Father is. That somehow he's this very angry deity who is always going to force us to do something. So we better decide to do it on our own. And what this picture shows is this. It's not that at all. But he draws us with his loving kindness. Jesus says, hey, what are you guys looking for? What are you seeking in life? It draws them into his own heart. So what are you seeking? What are you seeking in life? Some of you might say, well, I'm just seeking to survive the day. You know, I start Monday morning and I want to survive to Friday afternoon and I can breathe Saturday. I can come here Sunday morning and then you're going to get up here and you're going to talk very loud at me for 40 minutes and I'm going to get through that and I'm going to go home. And whatever you guys do in the afternoons on your Sunday afternoons, I would say that probably 85% of you said nap, right? Isn't that right? Yes, yes. It's a spiritual thing. You're going to go and take a nap after you simply fill your belly at lunch. And so you're going to, and, and so I, that's, that's what I'm seeking in life. And some of you say, I'm seeking education. Some of you say, I'm seeking, I'm seeking resources. So what are you seeking? And it's interesting because when we think of the disciples, we think of these super spiritual individuals. And the question they ask him is, Jesus, where are you staying? Is what they, you know what? It's not that they really at first understood what he was asking them because 
They just simply wanted to know his physical address is exactly what they want. They don't want to know what hotel you're staying in while you're in town, Rabbi. They want his address. But what Christ wants simply is our heart, is exactly what he wanted from them. And the reality of our life is that we're not often on the same page as Christ in our life. But how does God respond to that to you and I? Is it chastising us? Oh, is it simply berating us with his words? No, he simply says because he knows their hearts when they say, where are you staying? And here's what he says, come and see. It's more than just come and see where I'm living. He's simply saying, come and see who I am, is what he's saying. It's a revealing of who he is, which gives them an understanding of who God the Father is. Yes, that's grace. Uh, that, is, that is beautiful words of Christ that he speaks to these guys who simply miss the whole point of the question when he says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? And they say, hey, where are you staying? We just want to know where you're sleeping. And they go hang out with him and their life is changed forever and they turn the world upside down. You see, Jesus reveals the Father's plan of the disciples through his, through his own life. His own life. The first step for, I think, for us as it was for the disciples is this that we have an understanding of who Christ is. That is exactly what we need to do. We have to understand who Jesus is if we're going to understand God's call upon our life. Last week we said this that Jesus is perfect theology. Not a statement that, that I have made, but a statement that we borrowed from a book. And, and so Jesus is perfect theology. And if theology is a study of God, then Jesus is the lens in which we see the Father through. And then the Father sees you and I through the perfection of the Son. Do you know what that is? That's divine relationship. That's exactly what that is. That's absolute divine relationship. That we see the Father through the lens of Jesus. And the Father sees you and I through the perfection of Jesus, His Son. And that's divine relationship. So if we have this, then why do you and I try to look around Jesus so much to draw our own conclusions of God? Why do we do that? Why, why do we draw these conclusions that somehow God hates me or God is against me or God is forcing me to do something or God is just a God that wants to draw all the joy from my life and, and, we, and we simply just want to draw our own conclusion because we paint a picture of God with our own circumstances. Can I read from the book of Matthew for a moment? Thank you. It's a synoptic gospel of John. Can I read from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13? Here's the words. And I think this gives us some understanding as to why we avoid looking at God through his son Jesus sometimes. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do who do people say the Son of Man is? It's, it's basically, again, he's asking those questions that draw his disciples into them. It's salt that causes them to want to drink living water. It is. And they said, you know, he's saying, what is, what's the word on the street, fellas? What are they saying? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, we're going to read about him in a moment when he first meets Christ in the book of John. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. Those are two titles that we covered last week. It is. And we don't have a problem with those. Hey, you're the Christ. You accommodate us. You lean into us. You come down to us. You get on our level. That you are, you are that of the son of the living God. That you, Jesus and the Father, coexist eternally in perfect harmony with one another. And, and, and so we understand those things, that fa the, God the Father, God the Son, you're in perfect agreement about how you love us. 
It's not that God is up there always trying to talk the Father off the edge of destroying all of us. That, that's not it at all. They're in perfect agreement about how we are loved. But I think it's what Peter doesn't say. It's what he's missing here that you and I struggle with. It's why we don't want to look through Jesus to the Father. And that is that he never says that you are Lord. He never says that at all here. No. He never says it because it's what we struggle with. Because in a few verses, G- Peter's going to take Jesus aside and he's going to rebuke Jesus for all of this stuff. He's talking about that of him dying. He- he's going to rebuke him for all of that. And-, and-, and what does Jesus do? Jesus addresses Peter's flesh that he's not submitted as being Lord. He's not submitted to Christ as him being Lord over those areas of his life. Yes. Why don't we want to look at Jesus as the lens to the Father? It's because in doing that, that we have to declare him as Lord and King of our lives. And that's the struggle of our life. Because theologically, I can understand some things about God. And I can understand some things about Jesus' relationship with God. But for me to look through Christ simply means that I have to say that he is Lord. And so what Jesus says to his disciples in John is, come and you will see. It's, it's simply an opening of their eyes of who he is. We, you listen, you and I don't have the latitude given to us that we're simply going to say, I'm going to accept you as that of you are the son of God. I'm going to accept you as Christ. But when it comes to the Lord thing and king of my life, then that's the thing that I really struggle with. And I choose not to view you in that manner. Because if, you, if simply you are seeing him in these other theological terms, but not as Lord and king of your life, then your spirituality is short-sighted. It's short-sighted. I don't want to talk about him being Lord and King of my life. No, because that means I have to surrender some control to him. That I have to surrender some things that I want to keep for myself. That I can't, I've kind of been holding back for myself. I have to lay them at his feet if he is truly going to be king. Because the, the understa- my understanding of really seeking God's direction for my life is more than just knowing what God wants me to do, but there's an action in my life that it has to take place, and that is that I have to surrender my heart. I have to surrender my life. I have to surrender the sins of my life. I have to surrender all the desires and the hopes and the dreams of my life. And, and you say, but Mark, if you do that, then God's going to take those things away from me or away from you, and then life is just going to be absolutely terrible. No, understand that if you look at God through the lens of Jesus, his son, what you realize is this, that God has your very best interest at heart, and God is for the joy of your life. And so what that does, that gives you peace and rest when you surrender things to him as the king and the Lord of your life. Because I do those things and I make those surrenders to God with joy. Because I understand through His Son who He is. And I understand His heart for me in, in this world. So I surrender those things. Yes, so Mark, so when we talk about God being the Lord of our lives, we get this picture in our head of I have to dethrone myself, drag myself miserably off the throne of my life, begrudgingly surrender all these things to Jesus. And I want to tell you, that's not what He's talking about at all. Because he's saying to his disciples, hey, come and see, open your eyes. 
because I want you to see who I am, that I am power and authority, that I am God. I, I am actually, I am deity. I am fully God and fully man, wrapped in flesh. Absolutely. I, I am all those kinds of things, but I use my authority and power to save and to rescue because I am a tender king and I'm not a tyrant. And when you see God as the tender king of your life, then you are ready with joy to surrender all the things of your life to him. Well, Mark, you're a pastor. You have all this stuff down. I mean, come on. You know, you have all of this stuff down, and it's great. And, and you know, uh, can I tell you? No, I, I struggle with this as anyone else does. There's moments of fluctuating in and out of this whole thing of surrendering this thing, things in my life to God as King and Lord. Absolutely, it's a struggle of my life, and it will be a struggle of our life as long as we live. But what I realize is I keep my eyes on God through His Son, Jesus, And it says something about God's heart for me. So I joyfully surrender the throne of my life to him. Because if I try to look around Jesus to see God, then the vision of God, his heart for me is fogged and I don't trust him. And I wonder sometimes and I'm suspicious about him and I'm fearful of him. What I realized in life, and I wrote this in my notes this week, I said, there is a better king than me. There is a better king than me. And when I come to that realization that there's a better king than me, then I will surrender these things to Christ. There's a better king than me. So here's the deal, right? You know this is coming. You just brace yourself for this with me. I know it. You got to love me, okay? You, you really do. So, so you've already greeted everyone. Could you turn to someone around you and say, there's a better king than you? Could you say that to them? They need to hear that from you. Yes, there's a better king than you. Ah. And they look at you and said, they say, it's not you, right? Isn't that what they say? Yes. There's a better king than you in life. And I surrender these things to God through his son, Jesus, because, oh, only Jesus comes and, you know, I've been preaching 25 minutes. And how do you know that, Mark? Well, don't worry. I know that, okay? Uh, and uh, there's also a big clock on the back wall. Don't look around. Look at me, okay? But the, and, and I've only got through one point because this is, man, this is a struggle for all of us here. It's a real struggle for all of us. Yes. And the reason that proclaiming Jesus as king of my life, but not just proclaiming that, but then me removing myself from the throne of my life and saying, this is your throne and never was mine. The, the, the struggle in that for all of us in this room is because of those moments when we try to look around Jesus and try to see God. My journey to understanding what God wants me to do in life starts with understanding who Christ is. Verse 40 says this, let's start more of this, this great dialogue this morning. And one of the two who heard Jesus uh, speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him that we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So the second thought is this, the journey to discovering God's direction for our life must include change. Here's the thing, it must include change within our life. It has to. Walking in God's plan for our life 
it involves more than just knowing God's plan for our lives. Yes, because here's the disciples. They're initially in search for information. They are. Hey, they want to know, where are you staying, Rabbi? Where are you staying? That search brings Peter to a point of change within his life. And, and I thought, Jesus changes his name. Why does Jesus change his name from Simon to Cephas or to Peter? Because the, the name Simon in biblical culture, names were really important. They mean a lot because they de- defined who you were. The name Simon simply means he has heard. I love this. And, and then Peter meaning the rock. So hearing and believing should always translate into what? Action. When we hear from Christ... When we sit in a teaching, when we read scriptures, when we, when we simply hear the voice of the Lord speaking to our heart, that it should always translate into action within our lives. It's opening our heart and our mind to Jesus revealing the heart of the Father, and that results in change. Yes, it's, what kind of change are you talking about? I'm not talking about ecstatic change. I'm not talking about some uh, intellectual sin of just knowing things about God. But it's changed like this, that I trust his faithfulness in my life to keep me. So I entrust him with my life, that I love my neighbor as myself. For some of you, that's change. It is. For some of you, just loving the person next to you like you should be loving them is going to be change within your life. Those are things that change. A name change could be looked as just something that's aesthetic in our culture. But here it was more than that. This is not behavioral modification. No, 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 it's not that. It's trusting God. It's trusting God with the present of your life and believing him for the future of your life. Direction is not discovered by seeking direction. Direction is discovered through seeking Christ. It's never enough just to know the plan. No, it's not. This has always been about knowing Him. And when you get to know Christ, then you begin to understand the plan that God has for your life. It is. Because if you are living your relationship with Christ, as somehow you're just this good soldier, you're trying your best to carry out orders in your life, then that's not a relationship. Your marching orders in this life are a byproduct of your relationship with Christ. If you want to know what God wants you to do in life, then you cultivate a relationship with Jesus. Because change is a result of our journey. Oh, it's a result. Yeah, it's a result of our journey. It, it, It is that we are discovering those things as we move in our relationship with Christ. That he begins to change what we love because the things that we love lead us in life. That we begin to change the things that we value in life. We begin to change the how we interact with those person, the person sitting next to you. It's more than one inch theology in our life. It's about growth. It's about growth within our lives. It's not about who's the most mature in the room. That's not it at all. Listen, the disciples, as we read through the book of John, man, their immaturity, it comes to the surface quickly. And you're going to see that in a lot of situations. The crucial issue in discipleship is not maturity. It's not that at all. But the crucial issue in discipleship is desire. It's desire. That's why Jesus says to them, come and see. What are you seeking? You know, where, where do you stay, Rabbi? Where are you staying? You know, and Jesus says, come and see, because this is about desire. The source of growth in our life is grace and truth. So this is about desire. It's where, it's where we start on the journey. It's where you and I begin the journey. So we move on, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip 
And he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus is Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, he's done it now, right? Isn't that truth? Yes, yes. We found Jesus of Nazareth. Here's Nathan. You know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What is, what's going to happen to Nathan? Nathan is toast now. Isn't that right? Yes. That God is going to fry his sorry self at some point. God is going to get him. You can't say that about Jesus and get away with that. That's just not going to happen. And we have looked at that statement, I think, for years, thought it's a statement about ethnicity or about geography. But I think in Nathan's life, it's more of a statement of doubt, that he's doubting who Jesus is. And Philip said to him, come and see. So here's the third thing I thought about in reading through this text. Don't ignore the obvious when it comes to God's plan. Don't ignore the obvious when it comes to God's plan. So, so I wrote this out because this popped out to me. Boy, like blinding lights, Jesus found Philip. We just read that. Philip found Nathaniel. And then we're going to read in just a moment, and starting at verse 47, and Nathaniel finds Christ. That is God's call for our life. It's so obvious, isn't it? It is that we, we find ourselves waiting for God to reveal something to us, as if God is going to somehow take his finger and write it in the sky for you and I, that we're, he's going to reveal this plan for our lives. And God says, here is my plan for your life. Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathaniel. Nathaniel finds Christ. It's exactly, it's God revealing his plan. It's what we're called to do. It's what God directs us to do in life. It is. He says this, come and you will see in verse 39. And then Philip says in verse 46, come and see. It's the example that Christ gives us, that he calls us. And then what did you and I go out and we bring others to see him. And then their life is changed. If you ever wanted to know God's plan for your life, there it is. Well, Mark, that's absolutely too obvious to be divine for me because I'm waiting for that, that real divine voice from heaven that God, this is a voice from heaven. This is God speaking to you. This is God's obvious call for all of our lives. I, I, I'm not saying that God doesn't have other very detailed things for your life, maybe, but yet if you surpass this, if you surpass this call upon your life, that of Jesus finds Philip, Philip finds Nathaniel, and Nathaniel finds Christ, if we somehow work our way around that, then how can we really say we have a relationship with Christ? This is his call in all of our lives. Well, that's a struggle for me. You know, that's a struggle for me to go out and find a Nathaniel. It, it, it really is. He, he, and, and I think we feel like that all of that load is on our own shoulders at times. But here's what John says in John 20. We kind of go over for a moment. And, and when we get to John 20, you just pretend you never heard this. But John 20 and verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so I am sending you, he said. It's very clear that this is the call of God. Uh, that, that he sends Jesus to reveal the heart of the Father. And then our call for you and I, our calling in this life, is that you and I reveal the life of Jesus to others through our own lives, 
through our own lives, that we tell others. That is exactly what this is all about, that this is not just our mission. No, no, no. We're part of God's mission. Understand that. And when I understand it like that, what I realize is this, that I'm not carrying all the load, that the success is not simply about my perfection in life, that this is on God. This is on Him. That's His plan for our life. So you can walk away from here this morning in a few moments, and you can say, oh, God spoke to me about His plan for my life, and that is exactly it. It is exactly it. So let's finish our narrative, verse 45. Jesus said to Nathanael, coming toward him, remember that Philip has gone and, <clears throat> excuse me, and found Nathanael. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? I love that. How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. In the moment of doubt, I saw you. You know, that's why I said we've been under the fig tree at some point in our life. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? And what Jesus means by saying greater things than these is that we know later on in the book of John, we find that Nathanael is one of the ones who simply experienced the presence of Christ and that the resurrected form of his body after the resurrection. So the fourth thing is this, while on the quest for guidance, never forget that Jesus knew you while you were under the fig tree. Before Philip called you, he said. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus, can I tell you, Jesus knows you. All right, let's just cut the pretense. Let's cut all the things that we try to hide. Let's, let's remove the mask. Let's, let's not try to pretend who we are and when we're something else. And, and understand this. Let's just kind of rip back the covers and get to this point because it's very much revealed to you and I at this point in this text. Jesus knows us. He knows us. But this statement is very different in that it's not that he just knows us, but it's how much he knows us. It's the depth of his knowledge of who we are. Because what he says to Nathaniel is this, when he says, here comes an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What he's saying is this, I know your personality, man. I know how you're wired because you're my creation. That you're the kind of guy that just simply says what he thinks. Yes, there's no pretense with you, Nathaniel. So I know you personally, and then he says, I, I, I saw you under the fig tree in the moment of your doubt. So not only do I know you externally, but I know you internally. I know you in and out. I know everything about you, yet he still calls Nathaniel. Listen, whatever you've done in life and wherever you've been and whatever you've experienced in life, it never disqualifies you from being used by God. Realize that. Never. God knows everything about us inside and out, and yet he still calls us and he still uses us. This is the beautiful story of this one, these few small verses about Nathaniel. I heard you under the fig tree. I know your voice. Listen, Jesus never even addresses his sinfulness. Jesus never says, oh, I heard the statement about doubt. I heard that. You're going to have to give an account for that. He never addresses that at all. In fact, what he does, instead of addressing his doubt, he points out a virtue. And that is that in him, there is no deceit. 
that he's a transparent, non-deceitful, and honest individual. That is the heart of Jesus, which simply speaks to us about the heart of the Father. How can we say, how can we ever say, That God is a God who comes in and steals all the joy of my life with all of his commandments and and directions in life. And he removes all of those things and makes life some terrible, begrudging journey that we walk in this life. And the only way that you can say that about God is that somehow you look around him and you don't look through his son Jesus. Because the picture that is painted of God in these verses that we've talked about this morning is this amazing picture of this benevolent, loving king. not a tyrant and he loves you and even in the middle of your doubt and the middle of your your uncertainty in life about who he is and even when you have an opinion about him understand that that he still loves you and he calls you to himself that's beautiful you know what god just do you know what god just did here's what god did i love this here's what he did uh he just he just took all of your excuses and he, he just opened the door and he, he kicked them out. He just did. That's exactly what he did. And he didn't kick you out. But for all those excuses of, well, God has no plan for my life. He says, oh, no, here's, here's, here's my plan for, for your life that Jesus finds Philip and Philip finds Nathaniel and Nathaniel finds Christ. Oh, that's discipleship. That's disciple. Well, I can't do that because I don't have my mess together right now. Oh, neither... Listen, does, does any of them have their stuff together? These are guys that were simply following Jesus because they wanted to know what hotel he was staying in. They didn't realize, they didn't realize that when they got to the hotel room that he was going to have Bible study and their life would never be the same again. And he takes, he takes all of these concepts that we have of the Father... And man, and he just like puts a puts this holy torch to all of them, and and they all dissipate right before us in in this expression of who the Father is through His Son Jesus. It is so very powerful. Well, I have verse fifty one. I end there with you this morning. It's the end of this narrative, and it says this. And he said to him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, he's saying this to Nathaniel, that you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending." on the Son of Man. And, and here's an interesting thing about the way John writes, and, and we end with this. An interesting thing about the way John writes is this, that John will be writing, and he has this thought going, all of a sudden he throws in this crazy, simply thought right out of nowhere, and then he goes back to what he was talking about before. And I, and I love that. It, it makes it very relational, because I think that way sometimes, and, and so do some of you, you know. And so he, at the end of this, he says this, and so I thought, Lord, what does that mean? What, 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 why is that there in this verse about understanding your plan for our lives? Why is that there? And so here is what I wrote. And this is what it said to me. Stop agonizing over every step of your life. God has this. That God has this. That heaven has been opened. That there's no need for me to ascend that the work has already been done, that God has accommodated us through His Son, through the incarnate Christ, that there's this full disclosure of the heart of God for you and I, that so in light of all of that, and God has done all of this, then it's not about me white-knuckling my life, you know? It's not about me at all. It's not. 
It's not about me white-knuckling my life and, and trying to make things happen all the time. That's not what is. I'm not saying you don't plan. I'm not saying that you live a complacent life. But it's not about me trying to make things happen all the time. But I can rest in God through Jesus because I know that God has this. That God has this. Because I think that, you know, and I realize we're a mixed group here, and, and I'm not just talking about male and female and ages, but yet where we are in our journey with Christ, or some of you are, have started that journey, and I, I, we're so glad you're here. You're, you're where you need to be. I truly believe that with all of my heart. But, but what I realize is that if you've been in church very long, and, and the pastor gets up and he says, okay, today we're going to talk about how to know God's will for your life. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, you feel the, you feel the weight come upon you. You feel that like, I I just can't work through all of this stuff, you know, and, 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 and then we throw out step after step after step of how to do that. And, and you leave so burdened down with all of this and, and you walk out and, and what you do is somehow between now and this afternoon, you push all that out of your mind because it seems so unachievable and so far beyond you. And can I tell you, it is unachievable and it is so far beyond you. Why? Because when you read verse 15, you realize God has done all of this through his son, Jesus. So God has this. He has this. I'm not going to go through life complacent. That's not what this is about. Or I'm not going to. I'm not going to live life just on a whim. And and yes, we should plan. And there's wisdom in that. But what I realize is that I'm not going to leave here today, continually hearing the dump truck of guilt behind me with the beeping noise trying to back up and just load me down with guilt. Because I can't somehow in a hundred words or less write a paragraph about I know exactly what God wants me to do for the rest of my life. That's, that's what I call white knuckling it, you know? That's when you grab onto something and you hold on it so, so hard and you try to make it work to where the knuckles turn white. I don't know if you knew what that meant. I figured I'd need to give you a little definition for that. You're going through life and you're holding the steering wheel of, of your life and, you know, you got the, you got the death grip on it. Because I have to figure out all this stuff. And where John leads us this morning is he's saying, hey, God's already done all of this. Rest in him. If you will seek Jesus, if you will seek Jesus, because this is truly about desire more than it is Maturity, if you seek Jesus, then those things come. If you seek Jesus, then direction for your life will come. So rest in that this morning. Don't fear God other than that healthy fear of respect for Him, but don't don't have this fear of God that He's just up to something 
absolutely unexpected and terrible and awful and dreadful for your life. But to understand that God has proven and shown his love to you and I through his son Christ. We know his heart. That his direction for your life, and I know this personally, experiencing this for my own life, that what I realize it's more discovered than it is ever revealed. That life for me continues to be a discovery. And what that discovery process does for me, that it pushes me toward the source. And that's Jesus. Pushes me toward Him. I thought about our church and and I thought about how this has been such a journey of discovery for us. That when we started Hope Fellowship, man, we didn't plan on all of you being here. We didn't, we didn't know. We just knew that God gave us a direction for people becoming and belonging through loving God, loving others, and making disciples. That's what we knew. And from that point on, discovery. Have you planned? Yes. Absolutely, and we continue to do that. We didn't know that God would send us a couple of college students at some point. We didn't know that. We didn't know that. We didn't know God would send us staff people like he had. We didn't know that. We didn't know that one day that I would sit down for lunch with someone like Travis Watson, and we would have lunch at Chili's. And now he's part of our teaching team on Sunday mornings. We didn't know that. God did. But yet through his love in my life, he would just give me a little salt every once in a while, you know? And it would just make me a little thirstier for him. It would draw me to him. Because he desires to have a relationship with us. And in that process, we discover his plan for our lives. So I say to you today, rest in the fact that God has this. That God has this. And trust him for your life. Would you bow your heads for a moment, please?